Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan. We are brought to you today by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Welcome on to a special edition of Hollinger and Duncan, our first attempt here on Twitch. And immediately I've messed something up because I forgot to mute my other computer. But now I have done that and we are ready to go. (laughs) So uh, if this is your first time watching us, I'm Nate Duncan. I uh, host the Dunked On podcast. I'm an ex-lawyer turned salary expert and NBA podcast host. John Hollinger is the godfather of NBA analytics. He used to work for the Memphis Grizzlies and is now kind enough to grace us with his media presence. And let's get started talking about last night, obviously. And I guess this is a reductive question, but the series over? Boy, I don't I don't think it's over. I mean, we've seen this happen before where we got a little carried away after game one or game two, and then the series turned in an unpredictable way. So I don't want to say it's over. The thing that the thing that has to worry you for Miami is not just that they lost or that they lost by a lot, but the injuries that they come out of this game with. Losing Dragic, probably for the series. I mean, now they really got to get something out of Kendrick Nunn, who, I mean, to their credit, they put him out there in the second half and he did some stuff. He kind of looked like, finally, like regular season Kendrick Nunn. So maybe they can get him back on track. But the injury to Adebayo, the injury to Jimmy Butler, uh, you, you just feel like they're uh, falling apart a little bit physically. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, that's their three best players, right? That we probably can't expect to be the same guys the rest of the series. And I think they could be a lot better defensively for sure, right? Like I just didn't think they had that great of a strategy defensively. They sure as heck didn't execute it. They've got a lot more wrinkles that they can do. But in terms of scoring, which actually I thought low key was their much bigger problem in game one, they could be in big trouble without those three guys running at absolute top capacity. Even in the first half, once the Lakers turned the screws, and especially once they took uh, Dwight out of the game and played Davis at five, I mean, the Heat had nothing. Uh, there there were so many plays where they just kind of swallowed up Dragic coming around the corner or Hero. Um, it, was, it was just very hard for, for Miami to generate anything in their usual flow. I thought the Lakers did a great job of taking away Duncan Robinson and even if they made him hit a slipping cutter and that opened something up for the Lakers, it wasn't, or for the Heat, excuse me, it wasn't quite the same thing as having to deal with him splashing down threes. And it left them in a lot of situations where it was just like, okay, Jimmy Butler ISO, I guess, which it was really jarring to see Miami play like that because that's not usually how they end up. No, I, I agree with you. And then when they did run pick and roll, a lot of times it was contested two-pointer. And I mean, they in the first half, the competitive portion of the game basically they shot 42 percent on twos and they were hitting their threes reasonably well 
yeah. in the first half. Like that, usually you can say, okay, well, we shot really poorly from three, but that wasn't the issue. I mean, they they really they took twenty twos away from the rim in the first half and made six of them, and you could tell like those were not like good mid range shots. That's usually not what the Heat do, really, other than Dragic. Nobody on this team wants to shoot those. Maybe Hero a little bit, but they had to shoot a lot of them. Anthony Davis probably contested five or six, and you could see. I you agree with me? He was just surprising these Heat players with the the level of contest and the length that he was providing on those? Oh, absolutely. Especially, I mean, coming off of a two weeks against Daniel Tice and Grant Williams, I think it's just a completely different level of uh, finishing skill and athleticism required uh, against AD in this series. So that's a big problem. Anything else that really struck you uh, about game one that applies to the rest of the series going forward? I mean, so there was outlier outlier shooting from the Lakers. And I think there's still the kernel of a good defensive strategy for Miami, which is we're going to double LeBron and AD, and we're going to make these other Laker players beat us with semi-contested three-pointers. Like, I I still think there's a, there's a winning strategy in there if, if they can score enough and if they can be a little just more locked in. Just, uh, you know, Seth Partner who works with me at The Athletic, he always says the number one playoff adjustment is suck less, right? And I, I think that really... <laughs> I think that really comes into play there. Like Miami just didn't play well. Like just these soft switches and and they they like they just didn't seem nearly as locked in as they had the last two rounds and and the Lakers to their credit took advantage of it. Yeah, I agree. And easily the worst game that they've played from an execution standpoint, particularly a defensive execution standpoint, you had the easy switches which you mentioned, you had guys helping off the strong side corner for no reason. You had fouls, you had guys not getting into help position the way they needed to. And yeah, it's going to look a lot worse when they go 11 to 17 from 3 in the first half. And that's a, a major problem but you got to deal with that and the problem was that they also weren't stopping them at the rim right like ad's got 34 points lebron is just they're giving up the low resistance switches lebron is just blowing by duncan robinson or hero on those plays and they're not helping at the rim i mean at least if you're gonna switch into that matchup at least bring enough help that you force lebron to kick it out to one of these subpar shooters for a three instead of just letting him waltz right to the rim yeah the non adebayo minutes especially were a fire hose of layups, right? And I, I think they have to really think about how they can get more size on the floor. I don't think you can play Andre Iguodala as a backup five against this team. I I, I think you have to play bigger. Uh, is that Myers Leonard? Is that, I mean, Chris Silva? We haven't heard his name at all. Could he, you know, uh, yeah, could he give I, him some I, I energy he, here? Is he like injured or something? Doesn't he have like a hip injury or something? I, I, I can't say I was paying the closest attention. <laughs> he not might exactly. be right. <laughs> at the top of their rotation but yeah uh yeah i don't know i, I mean iguodala a lot of times was their best help defender and mm-hmm. I, I thought they really it didn't hurt them against other teams we saw it maybe a little bit against the celtics but when they switch bam out on the perimeter if you compare that with like when the rockets switch pj tucker on the perimeter or the old warriors would switch Draymond green out of the perimeter bam just like sticks to whoever he's on after he switches like they don't switch back behind the play to put him in help position and andrew Godala did 
did the best he could he actually stopped LeBron on a couple of drives but you know he's not your primary rim protector like he's more a secondary guy swiping down from the wing than having to be the main guy at the basket and so uh I also really I mean we're probably not crediting the Lakers enough particularly I thought LeBron just came out and was had fire in his eyes and he wasn't going to let them switch these subpar defenders on him yeah I I think there's definitely some of that and then some of those sequences around the basket with AD were like varsity versus JV right um had had tip to David Thorpe for that observation but just the the sheer size advantage inside uh I think that's a real problem for Miami almost no matter how they line up especially if you know if you switch with Bam then you got AD against uh, somebody who's six inches shorter and less athletic, it's, t- it's tough to to stop the putback, even if you get the initial miss. So just a just a a lot of problems here for Miami, and I'm not sure how they solve all of them. So my prediction for the series was Lakers in seven. What was yours beforehand? I had him in six. And how would you change that now? Boy, this has a gentleman sweep vibe to it, doesn't it? Sorry, what was that? Gentleman sweep, Lakers in five. Oh man, I mean, you're you. I might even pick it as a sweep. I mean, mm-hmm. With, I mean, I'm I'm gonna assume that Dragic isn't gonna play or is gonna be, you know. I think he's probably minutes. probably not gonna play the rest of this series, or it it might almost be worse if he does play because we've seen that before. The guy says I'm gonna yeah, play, I and then he comes too. and plays and sucks, and you would have been better off not playing him. Do you like both? saving money and doing work on your own car rockauto.com is for you in that case their prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low they always offer the lowest prices possible they don't change prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do they also have the same prices for do-it-yourselfers as they do for mechanics unlike many other places and you have to go to that annoying auto parts store where they're not going to have your part out on the floor they're probably not going to have it in stock so you have to order it by computer well why don't you just order it yourself on your computer from home at rockauto.com and get better pricing as well they're a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years you just enter your car in quickly see all the parts that are available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer go to rockauto.com right now make sure you write locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that you came from us amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com are you dissatisfied with your protein bar really think about it do you actually look forward to eating that or you just do it because you have to and in reality it tastes like it came from a construction site give built bar a try instead the improved built bar is even more delicious they're now up to 18 flavors including nut and non-nut flavors the new flavors caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry bar sia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake apple almond crisp and there's the original favorites of course like raspberry german chocolate peanut butter double chocolate peanut butter brownie it's a chocolate and peanut butter in there which uh both of which i happen to love they're also low calorie low sugar high protein covered in 100 chocolate high fiber great for a keto diet the peanut butter bar 19 grams of protein 180 calories 5 grams of sugar 5 grams of net carbs and you can even get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last go to builtbar.com use the promo code locked on you'll get ten dollars off your next order use promo code locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com all right well so you guys in the chat here you watched the game last night let's see if we have any questions here that we can hit oh yeah how about this one from uh, mugsy b which player do you think will have to take on the biggest role after the injury 
Well, clearly Kendrick Nunn to me. I mean, that's the guy, right? If he can be a reasonable facsimile of the player he was in the regular season, then the drop-off isn't that steep from losing Dragic. And then then you give the Heat more of a chance to make this a competitive series at that point. But he has to come in and play. I do wonder if they'll start him, actually, in Game 2 and keep Hero in his same role. And that way, it's kind of less of an adjustment across the board for how Spolster's using all his minutes and everything. Uh, but it, it's definitely Kendrick Nunn. I mean, he's he's the most important player uh, for, for however long Dragic is out. He becomes such a vitally important kind of swing piece because if he's as bad as he was in the first three rounds, then the Heat are toast. But if he's the guy we saw in game one and the guy we saw in the regular season, then you're like, okay, well, Miami can maybe do still do something here. Uh, Parasites Blood Pressure asks Hollinger, why do you hate the Lakers so much? <laughs> I think he's referencing the column I wrote today for The Athletic, uh, basically saying that the, uh, that, the, that, the, that the NBA should be rooting for, for Miami because their, their model is much more applicable to about 25 other teams than, than the Lakers is. Uh, but, I mean, the, I mean, the Lakers are heavy favorites here. I mean, and all, as I mentioned in the comment, I mean, all the credit in the world to LeBron and AD. I mean, they, they hooked up in L.A., and that's their right and their lives, and they're making the most of it. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, as someone who never worked in the NBA, I mean, obviously, I'm sure many people who worked in the NBA and small southern markets that aren't free agent <laughs> destinations, you know, th- th- those sort of people might be resentful of how easy it is for a team like the Lakers. Now, of course, the Lakers owners would say, well, hey, we paid more to buy our team than you guys did for this reason, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, as a neutral fan and one who's just a fan of good team building, yeah, I don't like to see some of the Lakers failures get rewarded to just fail into LeBron and AD and you know fail into hiring Magic Johnson and having that be like such a shit show the way it was last year so um yeah they definitely did draft well but obviously you know they signed Bozgov and Dang and the whole dysfunction with Jim Boss and Mitch Kupchak I mean this is not one of the better run organizations we did our organization rankings they're well at the bottom and now they're gonna win just because LeBron James and Anthony Davis wanted to go there because it's in LA and uh, they have all the advantages that they have so i certainly understand why people who work in the league i mean you just want to see like the whole point of competition is you want the best team to win and the best players are going to win but the best front office is not going to win yeah you know you just it's you you def you definitely feel like you're playing a game where the dice are loaded against you a bit uh so i i think for for 25 or so teams um and especially sort of the 15 smallest uh slash less desirable for free agent uh markets i think that's definitely true so shifting from a team that we ranked very low in our organization rankings to one that we ranked very high but obviously uh did not do nearly as well as the lakers the clippers moved on from doc rivers it was uh, let me ask you this first the whole narrative was oh well you know they're parting ways they decided to do this doc rivers and steve balmer they had these talks about you know the direction of the franchise and they just decided that they didn't agree on it so you buy any of that or did they just fire him how should we be looking at this they pretty much just fired him yeah i mean did <laughs> at the end of the day right like he if they told him if they said well we have these differences but we want you to stay he wasn't going to be like no Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's you can couch it however you want to. But, yeah, they fired him. 
And it's interesting to me because, I, I mean, I definitely do think there were some issues there in terms of the locker room and the leadership. And I'm just not sure how much of that is traceable back to Doc. And if you, because if you look, I mean, those last three games, I mean, there was a strategic element too, definitely. I mean, he used Harold more than he, more than he should have, didn't play Zubats as much as he should have, but they also just missed a bunch of wide open shots. Right. And I think there was a real fatigue element to what was happening to the Clippers in that series that I think was really outside of Doc's control. So seeing him be the fall guy for that is tough. It just it really goes to show you, though, there are so many different. I didn't really appreciate this until I worked in the league. There are so many different dimensions on which an NBA coach can get himself fired in terms of. you know, whether it's relationships with the front office, whether it's playoff failures, whether it's, uh, you know, keep failing to keep the star players happy, uh, whether it's whether it's player development, late game strategy. I mean, there there are a lot of different elements that go into it. And I think it's one of the reasons why the, the average shelf life is so short, because you just there are so many different ways where you can disappoint somebody <laughs> in terms of of being an NBA coach. And there are so many different ways where you can kind of lose the faith of your, of your locker room too. Uh, you know, in, in like several different categories. And then once that happens, it's an avalanche. So you, you get a sense really, I mean, with this doc thing, it really makes you understand how kind of fragile it is for, for NBA coaches and why, uh, they're, and in turn, why their thinking can often tend to be more short-term focused and why they want so many guaranteed years on their deals. All right. Yes or no, in the situation that the Clippers are in, would you have moved on from Doc Rivers or not? I probably would not have. Um, I generally think he's a pretty good coach. And un- unless I knew that I had somebody that I definitely wanted and definitely thought was better. Like, unless I already knew who I was getting, it would have been very tough for me to do that. You know, to just say, okay, we're going to open it up and do some interviews and whatnot. Like, you know, but if I really had it lined up, where I knew I had my guy, then then I might think about it. But because, but to me, he's a top five coach. So you don't move on from that unless you have a known. That's like you know. The question is, who are you getting that's better? You know, Ty Lue, maybe, maybe. So I'm of two minds about it. Obviously, I was shocked by it, as I always say with these coach things. And as you alluded to, deserve ain't got nothing to do with it, right? Like it's just, totally. It's not. You say, oh, did this guy deserve to be fired? You're like, okay, did this guy do a bad enough job that he deserved to lose his job? But you know, a lot of people in normal life, it's like you got to really screw up to get fired. You know, if you're like a postal worker or something, right? But it, that's not necessarily how yeah. NBA coaching works because this is the absolute highest level, and you. you feel like there are candidates who can improve i thought doc definitely did some things wrong you're going into next year as one of the highest pressure years in nba history given everything that they've traded away and the free agent status of george and leonard and so you can say it's definitely a risk to get rid of him i completely understand that but you can also say it's a risk to hold on to him because what if you go into next season and you start off 13 and 12 and the Warriors are back and the Lakers look good again and Houston's looking pretty good and Denver and it's like well now you just have to fire him and you have to get some assistant whoever the lead assistant is exactly off of his bench and so now you have a chance to really go through the process um this also seems to me like it's kind of the Clippers front office 
taking things back and doing them the way that they want to do them and this is a little bit of a power play from them doc was had a lot of power in the organization he predated them there had been a uh, peaceful transfer uh, of power which uh, as you know in this country we always laud and uh <laughs> between doc rivers and the, the current organization but still he wasn't quite on the same page with mm -hmm. them and now they kind of gave away some of their uh some of their organization to Kawhi as well and i think they're like no we want to get a coach who's back in who's going to do what we want to do and you know certainly the raptors did that with nick nurse and had success yeah and i guess yeah this this occurred to me too how much our coaches just hate nick nurse right now right because it's like he's he he and steve kerr are like the poster childs for why you should fire a coach yes and so like every coach who gets who thinks he's successful and gets fired anyway has got to be like oh they think they're getting the next steve kerr nick nurse like that's why i'm getting yeah. fired yeah totally and so the unknown with all of this is Kawhi leonard and paul george yeah i mean just having been in this situation it's it's it seems unlikely to me that there wasn't some element of temperature taking going on before they went ahead with a move like this right and that doesn't mean necessarily that the players pushed for it, but you you yeah. would think you would think they could have stopped it if it had been important enough to them. Let's put it that way. Yeah, your colleague Yovan Buha did report that there was some kind of a meeting that took place with Kawhi at a minimum. So uh, before we get to some more questions, where is Doc Rivers the best fit? Is reported he met with the Sixers today uh, that he and D'Antoni are now the leading candidates after D'Antoni had been reported as the only leading candidate before that. So uh, do you like him in Philly? Little bit of a weird fit there. Um, I mean, I wonder if he's the guy who can who can reach Embiid and get him, you know, get the best out of him every night. I, I do think he's been shown to be a good motivator, although more with kind of underdog teams. Uh, you know, that that's been his history. His best work, right, has been in in Orlando with that team of no names that almost made the playoffs and then the Clippers two years ago. Um so so maybe if if he's the guy if he's the the guy who can reach Embiid and kind of get him and Simmons more on the same page I really thought he was going to take a year off. I mean, he's getting paid for two years by the Clippers anyway. He'll be hugely in demand wherever he, you know, whenever he decides to put his hat back in the ring. And I don't know, if, like if you're in in that situation, like, do you want to deal with next year with all the hoops you're going to have to go through just to have a season and whatnot and how exhausting this year was? Like, I don't, I don't know if I was him, I might, <laughs> I mean, I might, I might chill on the beach for a year and collect my paycheck from the Clippers and then jump back in. But th that's just me. Yeah, he does have two years left on his contract at, at over seven million per uh, as was reported but i think there's some really good openings out there houston indiana is a playoff team I mean, the, like think of all the playoff teams that moved on from their coaches and philly i mean you still have two all-stars like how often does that kind of a job so that is the unusual that's the unusual situation i agree with that you usually you, you'll see this many openings in a lot of years you won't see this many quality openings in terms of i mean brooklyn's already been filled but you had brooklyn houston uh, Clippers now, Philly, Indiana, like good teams. Um, and, and that is rare. Uh, I have a feeling he's out of Indy's price range, probably. I mean, I assume he's not yeah. going anywhere unless he gets close to 10 mil. So, you know, probably out of Houston's too, I would think. <laughs> I mean, um, New Orleans is a great opening. Like, New Orleans, yeah. We anything about that even now. No, like, we again, haven't. They're probably not going to pay that much. But but that's that's a really interesting one too. You're right. So all of these coaching contracts have offset language, right? Are there any that yeah. don't? 
I would yeah. be very surprised if an NBA coach did not have offset uh, language. Yeah. Some college coaches don't because they, you know, their ADs get trucked by the coach agent, but that doesn't, that doesn't happen in the NBA. Yeah. I, I agree with you there that, but maybe mutual parting of the ways meant, Hey, uh, Steve, how about you take that offset language out of my contract before you fire me? I, I <laughs> guarantee that did not happen. No. Okay. Well, it's, I, they had extensive conversations, but no, you, you would know better than me. <laughs> I, I don't, th- I don't think that was in the, I don't think that was in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, last thing, I'll say on Doc is the reason I like him in Philly is just because he has enough of, of a pedigree. Joel Embiid grew up with Brett Brown. He knew where Brett Brown came from as a coach. And so that's really a he's not going to listen to Brett Brown, right? Like Brett Brown is like his buddy. They built this together. Doc Rivers is a championship coach. He comes in, he's got some gravitas. If Doc Rivers says, Hey, you got to get in better shape, Joel. Ben Simmons, you got to shoot threes. Maybe they listen to him when they wouldn't have listened to Brett Brown or, you know, every single person in the media. So Helix Sleep is the best mattress out there. Full stop, in my personal opinion, and the opinion of GQ, Wired Magazine, and Apartment Therapy, all of which awarded it the best number one overall mattress pick of 2020. If you're not familiar with them, they make personalized mattresses here in the U.S. and ship them straight to your door with a free no-contact delivery, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. So it's basically risk-free to you. You fill out their two-minute sleep quiz and match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you're heavier, if you're lighter, if you like a mattress that's soft or firm, you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach, you sleep hot. There's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste with Helix Sleep. Go to helixsleep.com slash PR, take that two-minute sleep quiz, and they're going to match you to that customized mattress that's going to give you the best sleep of your life. Right now, they are offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. This is the best offer they've ever had. I've been working with them for over five years now. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash PER. Easy to remember slash PER because John invented it. And make sure you include that slash PER link to let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store um let's take a couple of questions uh on that one um bki 728 does doc do any better managing the sixers personalities or locker room than he's done with these last two clippers teams well you say the last two clippers teams i mean the the one i assume you're talking about cp3 and blake when you say that because the one the team two years ago obviously he did a great job with um yeah the lob city clippers i actually thought for the most part, they were they were pretty good. I mean, there were little reports of, of friction with them, even. Uh, and you know, we they had the 
DeAndre almost left uh, to go to Dallas, and then they had that whole weird episode. But I always thought the story of those Lob City teams was more just like very specific playoff failures, more than more than anything that was that was a negative over the course of a season. And then there were some own goals too toward the end of that, where they really hurt themselves on the back end of the roster with some short-sighted moves. Whereas, th- I mean, this last year was different because they were, like those Lob City Clipper teams, they were always good, but was there ever a year where you were like, oh yeah, the Clippers are, you know, clear favorites and, you know, definitely pencil them into the conference finals at least. Like it was never quite at that level. And yeah. this this Clipper team though, I mean, that it was definitely more of a championship or bust mentality. Uh, that, I mean, you know, maybe they would have left with some dignity if they lost to the Lakers, but certainly anyone else beating them would have, would have been seen as a crushing disappointment. And this Denver series was, so, uh, I, I think that's a very, very different situation. So I'm rambling here, but the, I get, I guess my takeaway is that I actually thought he did a pretty decent job when he came into that Clipper team and, and kind of got them on the same page because they were that that last year with with Vinny Del Negro. I mean, he definitely upgraded whatever was going on with them f- from 2014 <laughs> to 2013, right? And so uh, I think he can do the same thing in in Philadelphia, where I, I you know I do think there was some weird chemistry, and I do think he can help with that. Can you imagine, just as a quick aside, what it would have looked like if Vinny Del Negro was still the coach during the Donald Sterling affair in 2014? Like, what a shit show that would have been. Wow. Wow. No, I had not considered that. <laughs> Good thing we won that series then, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, this is, this is a, an interesting comment here from uh, Casta. Doc is getting a lot of mileage out of that lone title at Boston. I think that's true. Is, is he, you know, that was now 12 years ago. Is he overrated just because of that? I don't think so. I mean, you forget about... 2010 he almost won a second one with a team that was honestly pretty limited um absolutely and was up double figures in game seven so i no i don't i don't agree with that i well, i thought and, and he's he, he did a great job as recently as the last two seasons before this one yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean getting last year's clippers team as far as they did you know and then even in the playoffs having that huge comeback against golden state and making it at least sort of a series against a yeah pretty awesome team when they were fully loaded before everyone got hurt i i mean that was that was an impressive performance last year all right, so let's move on here. We got some mailbag questions left over here on free agency. And here's where I wanted to start. Uh, Big Match 3 uh, on Twitter asked, is there a Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn type of potential signing this year? Uh, just a guy hanging out? <laughs> Boy, that's tough. Uh, we saw a couple guys get picked up right before the bubble restarted. Uh, you know, Cameron Payne maybe could be that guy. Uh, played pretty well for Phoenix after they signed him out of the G League. I mean, in general, the Duncan Robinsons and Kendrick Nuns don't happen, right? That's what that's what made this so rare where where you sign a guy toward the end of the season like that and 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 he comes up the next season and turns out to be fantastic. Um I'm trying to think who else is out there. You know, the one guy who's sort of interesting, I think, and I haven't seen him sign anywhere. Maybe he signed somewhere overseas and I didn't catch it. Uh, but Jay Sean Tate had a really good year in the Australian League. And I think he could be a guy that NBA teams look at. Uh, some of the other guys I like from overseas who kind of fit that mold uh, have already signed contracts for this year and, and probably aren't going to be available for NBA teams this offseason. Uh but otherwise, I mean, if 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 there's one guy who I think maybe could sort of be like that, I'd probably say Cameron Payne. 
Yeah, uh, I got a couple here of guys, to, you know, because Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn were in the G League. Robinson was at least a two-way guy. Uh, one of the guys I really like a lot is Paul Watson out of Toronto, and he didn't play much at the big league level, but in the last game of the seeding games against uh, the Denver Nuggets, he was awesome. Like, he's got a lot of athleticism. He can get out for some alley-oops and some hard drives, hit some threes. I think he was in the high 30s from three, and I just really was a very impressed by him. He's actually on a two-year two-way but you would mm-hmm. think that they would bring him up n- next year and they're always looking for more wings off the bench as well I, I really liked him a lot I'm sure you saw him in college you know I was asking like how did this guy who's this athletic who can shoot like not even get drafted yeah I think I questioned the shooting part a little more with him yeah. um haven't you know s- saw him in the G League showcase like definitely there's definitely some athleticism there especially if he can show that he can guard fours where he's a, he's a little undersized but if you could play as a stretch four there's probably something there um, um, I, I didn't get, I didn't get to Fresno state a whole lot. So I actually didn't see him in, in college, but, uh, I, you know, I, maybe I'm a little more down on him. I've heard other people talk him up a little more. I was yeah. kind of bullish on Rajon Tucker who signed with Utah, but he didn't really do a lot for the jazz this year. And I thought maybe he'd play when they got into that playoff series and they were kind of going with other options ahead of him. Yeah, he's really athletic, but uh, the shooting seems like it's an issue there. And particularly just in that Utah system, they needed someone who could come in and play a little bit more of a role. Um, I got two other guys for him. One, and Drew Eubanks is still on a two-way, right? Yes, yeah, and uh, that's your guy, Oregon State product who uh, played very well as a backup five for the Spurs in, in the bubble game. So there could be something there. Yeah, I mean the the market for fives is always going to be muted, and he's like a pretty traditional five right now. I think he has to add a little bit more of a skill dimension to his game, but he he showed he can be serviceable as a, as a backup five. Which I mean, honestly, for for like a two way guy, that's a win right there. And then we'll see what more than they can get out of him in these coming years. And then the last guy I mentioned I thought was really good this year uh, was Jordan McLaughlin in Minnesota. Absolutely. Yeah. He did a really good job. He's a free agent. I'm really interested to see if he gets paid above the minimum because when I model out kind of potential contract values, he comes up as a guy who, you know, should should be getting well into the, you know, fours and fives in, uh, uh, in, in salary for next year if you project him as a backup as a backup one, which I think is a reasonable projection at this point. He got a lot better. He played for Brooklyn's G League team, I think it was the year before. And I mean, like he was all right, but he didn't scream NBA player either. Was a little small, always had a knack for pick and roll at USC. But I think he's just kind of refined everything to the point where his offensive game is NBA ready. Yeah, he's got some quickness getting to the basket. I think the the shooting is kind of the variable. Is he going to be a 36% guy off the dribble or is he going to be a little lower than that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Next question here. Is there any path to offloading Al Horford? Yeah, there's a couple that are sort of interesting to me. I mean, the one I floated uh, in a thing I wrote with Eric Horn and Rich Hoffman a week ago, could you do something like Ben Simmons and Al Horford for Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and like three first round picks, two of them being like the unprotected ones that OKC has. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's just, it's so hard to move on from an all-star who's the age of Ben Simmons. You just signed to a max contract. I mean, it seems like whoever the new coach is, they're going to at least try to give him a chance 
and obviously Harris and Horford didn't work are they that desperate to move on from Horford that they would include Simmons as well and just I mean the problem I think there is at least here you can talk yourself into all right we're going to be a playoff team for at least the next five years with Embiid and Simmons just by having those two guys yeah if we go if we go Chris Paul he might just get injured this year and be done but he's got one or two years left maybe and we're still you're not winning a championship with that team even if you move Al Horford so I think they still have are hoping that they can get to that level and although it grows more and more remote by the day as he doesn't develop a jump shot and Embiid you know kind of puts on more weight and and plays less athletically there is a hope still that the upside of Simmons and Embiid is high enough so I I personally I don't think I would be that interested in that one if I were the the underlying reason to do something like that is if you think Embiid is a time bomb physically yeah I mean it seemed like it um uh, that that was sort of their idea in making the Harris trade but yeah the other Horford trade uh, that is at least somewhat interesting to me is Al Horford for Harrison Barnes. Huh. I'm, I'm not sure if another four or five totally makes sense for Sack, especially if they still think Marvin Bagley is good. Uh, but it's something that, you know, I'd at least think about, right? Might have to be some draft equity involved, but... All right, let's uh, let's hit, hit some questions here. Uh, oh, yeah, this is an interesting one from uh, Sabonis Ilyasova. <laughs> okay. Man, that's that's just a a uh, a charge waiting to happen right there. Um, what happens to NBA scouting reports from years gone by? Are they saved in some archive? Uh, when John got to Memphis, was there a dusty scroll with the strengths and weaknesses of Jake Sakalitas? <laughs> there were there were no dusty scrolls. A, a lot of teams um, in the early part of this decade really got a lot more serious about automating all of that and filing that stuff away. So, like now in Memphis. You could find uh, not a dusty scroll, but probably a dusty thumb drive with all of my, you know, reports from 2013 or whatever. But going back further than that, at least in Memphis, where we were probably later to the game than a lot of teams, uh, there there isn't something like that existing where like, I don't know, you you. You can't go back to like 1995 and see what some scout thought of Scott Williams or something. I mean, there might there might be there might be like a literal paper filing cabinet somewhere that has that stuff, but the, not, you're not going to be able to come up with that in any kind of automated way. More more recent stuff, yes, you could if you if you had access to the team's you know database or whatever. Uh, Maltrab asks. I know Nate's thoughts, but was curious for John's thoughts on what you think the Bulls could get for Zach Levine and who would be willing to trade for him. Well, I mean, your first, if you were really committed to moving him, your first call would probably be Sacramento because they signed that offer sheet. Now, I know it's a different regime there, but it's still the same owner, right? So there might be some motivation for that. Interesting. Uh, more generally, like, what are you, what are you trying to get out of trading Zach Levine? I guess, or like, you're like, he's still a pretty young player who can get better still offensively. Like, because really, if you're trading Zach Levine and you're Chicago, what are you trying to get? You're trying to get somebody else's Zach Levine, aren't you? I mean, I'd, to me, I think you're just better off keeping your own unless somebody's willing to massively overpay. Well, I do want to see what it would look like with a real coach in there, which Levine has not really played for in his Chicago tenure, and. Now, I, my suspicion is that he's going to continue to be so bad defensively. But, I mean, his two biggest weaknesses are defense and playmaking. And, yeah, I probably would rather just roll the dice on uh, just, like, seeing if he can improve or not. I don't think he's going to, but he's probably your best out to really getting to a uh, playoff level of offense, at least in the short term. Now, it does seem like they're maybe trying to consolidate now since they've got uh, Arturis uh, 
in there and you know maybe he just wants to build his own thing and Levine does only have two two more years on his contract as well right I mean maybe they're uh maybe they're feeling that a little bit but I think this I, I, yeah this trade line would be the time right yeah if, if you're going to do it when he has one and a half years left and the team knows that they have you know at least that and can maybe extend him and you've given yourself half a year with the new coach to really see what you have I, I think that would be the point where you'd really have to look hard at it if if you're Chicago but I, I, I don't yeah. think this offseason is the right timing unless you just have a, a sitter unless you just have something that's so juicy that it's like okay we have to do this so the conception of the deal I would imagine would be all right we're gonna offload him we'll take on some bad salary and some draft picks right uh I think actually Levine the best fit for him would be Philly where they got plenty of other defenders around him they need someone who can just create a shot off the dribble and pick and roll Simmons is a good passer already so he can help out with some of the playmaking so you know maybe a Levine for Horford type of thing and then also the you pick up a, a two first round draft picks from Philly in the future something like that would, would be the conception that I would be thinking of but again I'm you know I I like that better for me from Philly's standpoint than the Bulls standpoint yeah I just yeah I have a hard time getting excited about that one if I'm if I'm Chicago especially with all the young yeah. bigs you're trying to get minutes for there already like what are you doing with Carter and Markinen at that point? Um, well, I mean Carter, Markinen, and Horford—all those guys, maybe in theory, could just be your three-man front court. All, all play together. I mean, I think it'd be more about the draft picks, obviously, than yeah, Al Horford himself. But maybe you're just banking on well, Joel Embiid gets hurt and Philly's not any good. You know, like that's uh, or or maybe maybe you just think that Zach Levine can go there and sabotage him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Trojan horse trade. <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's. Uh, uh, we got a time for a couple more of these questions here. I right, let's let's talk a little Cavs. You hyped to talk a little Cavs here? Oh, I'm so excited, man! Oh yeah. All right. Do you think Andre Drummond will have a trade market considering uh, his player option, which I think he might opt into? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think there will be a trade market for him um, at 28 million? Is what he's making next well, year? Well, last year the only trade market for him was Cleveland. So I'm guessing there won't be much of a market for him this year. They What they need to do is, I mean, if there's a specific situation where a team needs a big and has a giant contract they want to offload and is willing to give the Cavs draft picks. I mean, that that's the scenario you're looking at, right? But you're definitely yeah. getting an ugly contract back uh, and you just got to hope there's picks with it. What about if Philly did Horford for Drummond just to get off the last two years of his money? Well, then you have uh, Drummond and Embiid together. I mean, they, they could- No, I mean, they, w- they would never yeah. play together. I mean- yeah. Drummond would start on the rest night for Embiid, and then otherwise he'd be the backup five. Well, it'd be a great way to uh, build up Joel Embiid's confidence in practice because <laughs> he just kicks Drummond's ass every time they play. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that uh, wrinkle. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's take a couple more a uh, couple more questions here from the from the chat. Uh, Nato Peron asks uh how likely do you think the suns making the playoffs next year would be if they got fred van vliet so we I, we could talk just more about that possibility in general here john uh, of them getting van vliet yeah it's definitely plausible although i think probably more unlikely than likely given the the amount of room they'll have and it shuts them off from from some other things that they might also need to address uh you know like they so they can get to like 19 million in room uh, and, you know, which maybe, maybe not is enough to get Van Vliet. But then also to do that, you're right. You have 
no Saric, no Kaminsky, no Baines. Like, what, what are you doing in the front court at that point? I mean, maybe you're able to draft a big at, at 10, and that player can play for you a little bit. I know they've, they've been able to go small at the four position this year, but to do that over the course of 82 games is, is a little more difficult to just say, you know, Kelly Oubre and Cam Johnson are our fours this year. So you put yourself in a tight spot there as much as, as Van Vliet would would help them. I think I think either way, I'd see them as kind of roughly 50-50 to make the playoffs next year. I mean, they were great in the bubble games, and we just don't know how much weight to put on that right now. And we just don't know what else... Uh, Robert Sarver is going to come up with this offseason, let's say, to that might hamstring their chances. Uh, Van Vliet would be a nice get, though. I mean, backup guard situation definitely hurt Phoenix this year. Uh, they also, I mean, they still have they still have Ricky. Is is Fred going there to come off the bench, or is he like, are you going to start yeah. Ricky and Fred at the same time? Play Booker at three, and yeah, boy, that that's seems a little awkward. I mean, I, th- I yeah. think you're bringing Van Vliet in with the idea that Ricky is going to sunset in some fashion eventually, and he's whether he becomes a, a bench guard or you move him. I mean, he's he struggles to stay healthy. He's getting into his thirties, so it, I mean, they do need a longer term solution at point guard. That's part of why I was critical of that signing to begin with because. It helped them for last year but you know how long is that going to continue to help them yeah um well so going back to one thing you said though how real is the bubble i definitely thought that a lot of guys took steps forward i mean booker looked unstoppable Aiton looked way better defensively uh campaign gave them a lot but so number one campaign yeah maybe he's taken a step forward and he can solve your backup guard problems and they have a team option in him for next year that i'm sure they'll exercise but you know he was obviously way over his head in that also and of that eight no record i want to say at least three of those games were against teams that just weren't trying in that game yeah yep um yeah. so the eight no is a little bit deceiving and then you know they had a couple of really close wins as well they had one over dallas they had one over the clippers that they easily could have lost so you know they they more likely could have gone if everyone were trying or maybe they had a little bit more average luck and more of a five and three bubble performance there than eight no like we're just absolutely dominating so yeah i think that's not to say that that level of play can't continue but eight no does really overstate what they were doing absolutely yeah yeah I'm excited to see them next year, though. And I haven't said that a lot about a lot of Suns teams of late. No, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed watching them in the bubble. Absolutely. We did a couple of games with them. We did the uh, the battle of the undefeateds between the Suns and the Pacers. Or, All right. You know, <laughs> TJ Warren was on fire. And yeah. Kill Bridges shut him down. You remember that? Yeah, I did. I actually, uh, yeah, I watched that whole game, too. Yeah. I tell uh, you, Bridges... Bridges is a stopper, man. Bridges is, they got something there. No, I, I'm uh, I'm really impressed by him. So I got a bunch of questions in the chat. We can close on this here on Victor Oladipo and uh, reporting that he would prefer not to return in Indiana. So presumably that means they aren't going to grant an extension, one would think. And they've got all these other ball handlers there, but he hasn't really looked like himself since returning for the injury. So uh, any fits that you see for him a- a- as a possible trade candidate? It's hard because I think the fits depend in part on whether the receiving team thinks they can resign him. And you, you just don't know the answer to that without knowing some of Oladipo's preferences. Um, so that, that, that's where it gets a little challenging. You do wonder about, I mean, Miami's a team that's definitely his name came up even before everything that happened in the bubble. You could argue they have less need for a two guard now with the way Tyler Hero has performed. But, you know, that I think that that's a name that's going to come up just because they have... Uh, the room to take his contract in pretty easily. Then the question becomes for Indiana: Well, what are you what are you giving them to make it worth their while? 
Um, otherwise, I, th- I think it, it really comes down to whether that team thinks they could get him to extend the contract. And obviously, there's a physical dimension, too, of what the receiving team thinks of his physical state, which to me, I actually thought he looked okay physically and was just like fighting himself and fighting the game a little bit, like kind of forcing shots and doing doing things that didn't really fit within the flow of the game, um, which to oh, yeah. me is maybe a little more fli- fixable. Yeah, although, like, I thought he looks like he's moving okay, but the big thing that he doesn't have is that explosive finishing at the rim that he had before the injury. I mean, I think he's able to get there a little bit. He's able to create shots. Maybe his jumper is even better, perhaps to his detriment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I am really have not been impressed by what I've seen from him because he was uh, he was so explosive in that 17-18 season. Like, you would try to trap it on the pick and roll, and he would just split right through it and be on top of the rim in a yeah. flash. And that's... Those are the kind of plays. And then he he really had struggled every year of his career, other than 17-18, finishing at the rim despite his athleticism. And that year, he really improved his finishing, and now it's back down to being pretty miserable. So, I, I mean, I you know... I'm definitely concerned about him. I mean, yeah, he might be a nice like 3 and D player who can do a little bit off the dribble and maybe shoot off the dribble a little bit as a secondary option. But I, I think your your prior at this point has to be he's done as anywhere close to a first option. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you're looking at him more, especially on a good team. You're looking at him as more like, you know, captain of the second unit and then, you know, a, a helpful player with your starters. All right, well, this is fun. Thanks to everyone who interacted uh, on Twitter. We're going to be back doing this now. It's going to be a regular time slot. Going to be 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific time on Thursdays. So we're going to be doing the pod then live. Twitch.tv slash NateDuncanNBA. You can follow or subscribe to us. We're going to start breaking out some subscriber benefits for you over the next couple of weeks as well. So thanks for joining us on this first attempt. And John, you by being on Twitch, you realize that you just like got like 10 years younger and cooler. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so hip now. Yeah, I am no longer washed. This is a this is a huge development. And if you eliminate the word hip from your vocabulary, you'll get five years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, this this was fun. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to y'all next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.